I'm Dorianne Wheel. Welcome to Thrive with Dr. D. Hello and welcome to Thrive with Dr. D. These days, in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic, a lot of us are talking about survival in various ways, not necessarily about thrival. But still, we are coming to new realizations. People are talking about a self-audit, where you stop, take stock, re-examine your goals. Where have you been? Where are you going? How do you want to spend your energy from now on? And there are lots of new priorities, ways of doing things, and realizations that people hope they can keep and maintain going forward. But around this time, the reality is that we used to spend time, do you remember, a lot of time talking about global warming. And now I am hearing whispers about global mourning. And that's not a surprise during a huge challenge that to a large extent is out of our control that we find ourselves propelled into right now. So what do I mean by global mourning? Mourning comes when there's loss. Mourning comes when there's grief. And most certainly, as you know, you have got your own loss. Is it loss of job? Is it loss of money? Is it loss of physical touch, which confirms us often and is so important? Is it loss of our usual routine? and a life that is being fraught at the moment by uncertainty? Is it loss of just being able to sit around a table having dinner with family and friends and just experiencing that warm space that we used to take for granted that exists? Is it loss of a sense of community with our churches and other social groups that we used to just be able to connect with? So indeed, there are lots of losses. And in fact, other days, someone said to me, you know, I feel that there's a loss of self. And he was an executive. And I said to him, what do you mean? And he said, you know, I am not who I am. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, I'm not the person who has to retrench. I'm not the person that asks people to take heavy salary cuts. I've never been like that. I care about my staff and my employees. And there's just, I'm finding that I can't keep my head above water now. And somehow it seems like there are no alternatives. So I'm behaving in ways that are strange and unpredictable to me. So when we talk about grief and loss, I've had a question here from someone to say, what are the stages? Because, you know, there are those usual stages of loss. And someone was referring to the five grief stages that were really made quite popular, if you want to use that word, by a writer called Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who wrote many books about this. And we have seen evidence of all of these five stages of mourning and a sixth one that was added subsequently. So what are these five stages? And I'll tell you. We've gone through them individually and we've gone through them collectively. But I do want to say that they don't necessarily happen in order, in a predictable sequence. They sometimes happen in response to things in an unexpected order, but usually they're all there. 
But to go through these five stages, which you will recognize, the first stage is often a sense of denial. We've seen personal denial. We've seen community and collective denial. Do you remember at the beginning when people were saying, oh, for goodness sake, why are you making such a fuss? It's nothing. It's just flu. You know, it's not even as bad as flu. It's the media that blowing it all out of proportion and people are getting hysterical. For goodness sake, you know, just get a grip and calm down. And the stage of denial, even in personal loss, when you may have lost um, something or even someone that is important to you, it's a kind of stage of disbelief. This can't be happening. I won't. I won't believe it. It absolutely, this cannot be happening to me, to my family and to my children. And it's a necessary stage because can you imagine how you would feel if you had to absolutely face the whole onslaught of the shock in the beginning? Can you imagine if right in the beginning someone would have to say, look, this is a pervasive virus. We don't know how long it's going to take. An X number of hundreds and thousands of people could and probably will lose their lives. My goodness, that is huge. So in the beginning is usually some denial. After that, you often get a sense of anger. Think of it yourselves and what you've had to deal with at this time of the pandemic and uncertainty. There's sometimes anger and the anger is comes with a feeling of being out of control. And often it's projected onto authority. I'm angry with the government. I'm angry with the information that we're getting. It's often something on the outside of yourself. But the anger is saying to yourself, you know what? I feel really out of control. And it sparks off these feelings of not only irritation, but sometimes a huge anger associated with, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do about this. And that makes me angry because I think of myself as a person who is competent, a person who usually knows what to do, a person who is in control, and I'm uncertain about all of this. And together with that comes the anger. And then after that, there's a stage, actually it becomes before anger, really, very often, but it doesn't matter when it comes. You know, there's often bargaining. Do you know what I mean about bargaining? I'm sure you do. It's bargaining sometimes with a higher power and I was talking to someone actually only recently who was telling me that three times they nearly said goodbye to her dad because he was so sick and three times he bounced back and you know what comes with that is please Lord just make him better I'll be a better person I'll be kinder I'll I'll be a more compassionate member of the human race if you just let my child get better, or I, I will be the best mother. I'll be the best dad, the best husband. Yes, I know I haven't been all that great up to now, but if you do this for me, dear Lord, I promise I'll do this for you. And that's the kind of bargaining where you make promises to yourself. If this, then that. You help me. I'll help you. And even people who haven't really been religious are looking outside of themselves for something to hold on to and recommitting to themselves to be a better kind of person towards other people, towards themselves sometimes, and certainly in their relationships. 
So I said denial, bargaining, anger, and after that comes sadness. Now sadness comes with the real beginning of this is the reality of the situation. A having to face that, as I say, this isn't uh, how we ever going to cope with a three-week sprint of lockdown. Oh, my goodness. The reality of it is that it's turned into a marathon. And the reality of it is that there is uncertainty. And there are no, yes, I want to believe I am going to get through it, or we will get through it. And we will get through it. This too shall pass. But the uncertainty which generates the sadness is when, when, how, and when. And that makes us feel as how out of control and upset. We're having to look around us. We're bombarded by statistics. That's why a good tip is don't watch the news all the time. If you want to keep up to date, really, really not more than once a day. It just gets into your soul and into your head to have to confront this especially all the negative news, you know, all the time, it has an effect. And there's sadness because, you know, we take a look around us and we all in the same, people say we're in the same boat, meaning that it affects all of us. I always say that in South Africa, we're certainly not all in the same boat. You know, we're in the same storm. I won't say that there's, there's not one person, unless you're probably psychopathic completely or cut off, that is not affected by this in some way. But we also have to recognize circumstances. We're in very different boats. The reality is that some people are on very broken rafts. Some people are in secure ships. And of course, that makes the difference. And one of the things that happens during a time like this is that a crisis like this can act, living through it, can act as an incubator like a frying pan, can magnify certain things that we're going through individually in our relationships and certainly in society. So individually what I mean is that if you were depressed before and you suffered with that kind of illness, then it's not, it's, it's, these feelings can be very exacerbated by these new and difficult challenges. You know, if you were an anxious person, you often experience high levels of anxiety because of what we're going through now. So whatever your tendency was or difficulty was, pre the crisis, it's not unusual that particularly the feelings that emanate are going to be exaggerated through the crisis. How does this manifest in relationships? Well, you know this, guys. I don't have to tell you. You can tell me. You know, if your relationships were characterized by good and open and clear communication and by friendship, you know, often you can use some of this time to say, look, you know, there's been this elephant in the room, this issue that's been unresolved between us for a long time, this courageous conversation that I haven't really wanted to unpack with you before and it can be a time for couples to face each other and to know that there's a sense of security and continuity that can withhold you know that can sustain difficult kind of connecting conversations but also on the other hand we can say why has there been an increase in the divorce rate through this time 
And there are very good reasons for that too. You know, we say for better or for worse. We can say for better, we can say for worse, but not for lunch. When you are locked in with one person where there's usually some space or opportunity for leaving the house or for work or for hobbies or for friendships or other activities, it's easier to keep that essential balance of space but not distance, of closeness but not intrusion. And all of that tends to get really out of sync now. Women often feel that they didn't put up their hand. Sometimes they take it on to be a teacher. They put up their hand to be a mother. The homeschooling has put a tremendous amount of pressure. There can be resentment that's built up to your partner where you're screaming inside and saying, look, there are two people in this relationship, not only one. Help me. But then you also feel that your role is to be a nurturer and a caregiver. And so sometimes it makes you feel unentitled. How can I ask for this? When he is trying to do something to see how he can earn a living. So these are really, really difficult relationship challenges. And what I can say is that if you think you're in a space where you can't navigate, these difficult conversations don't have them. Because I've also seen people where stuff has spilt out in an uncontrollable way and resulted in really um, unforeseen and difficult, very unfortunate results. We're also seeing an increase in gender-based violence. Can you imagine where you can't go out, meet with your friends, play some sport? Not to say there's ever an excuse there isn't, but the sense of frustration amongst all of us, most particularly amongst men, is really exacerbated because they don't like to be vulnerable. It's unusual to hear I'm frustrated, you know, I uncertain, I'm scared about the future, I don't feel connected enough with you. This requires vulnerability and openness and authenticity. Not so much seen in our culture. What is seen in our culture is acting out, lashing out, showing frustration without being able to access the source of the frustration, which is often fear or sadness or anxiety. And as I say, sometimes the consequences can be disastrous. And it's certainly not only to do with men at all. It's to do with women who build up and build up and build up and build up and who often have very long memories. You know, I have to tell you what happened with that was, was such an incident where I was talking to a couple. It was pre-COVID, actually. They were supposed to be going somewhere, and it was important for her that he arrived on time. And the guy came in 15 minutes late, and she absolutely lost it. Where the hell have you been? You don't respect me. You never respect me. And I remember that time, it was three years, two months, and an hour ago, when you were abusive and rude, not only to me, but to my mother that time. I've never, ever forgotten it. And this man just looked at his partner and said, I think you've lost it completely. You're behaving like a mad person. You've written, scripted, directed, starred. In your own movie, I don't even know what the hell you're talking about. Now, I wanted to tell you that because 
what happens is when you try to be nice too much, when you try to not rock the boat too much, and you prevent yourself from saying, I was upset, or that was difficult, or let's resolve it, you get that kind of build-up. And that build-up is often coming to the fore now when there is so much stress at home um, in relationships. And it spills out because some of it was just not ever really resolved. So it's a challenging and difficult time for relationships. And I'm talking about this time being an incubator for personal feelings, for relationships, and also for society. You know, the diversity and the divisiveness in our society come to the fore. The differences sometimes between the haves and the have-nots come to the fore. Certain inequalities which were always there and often recognized and dealt with but have exploded and come to the fore now. So things become absolutely in your face and very, very magnified in this time. And so if we go back to those stages, you know, that sadness and the inability to cope really, really manifests in many, many different ways. And then the last stage of the five is to do with acceptance. And that's also to do with the reality of what can we do, but it generates something else. Instead of just the sadness, it generates often acceptance, seems to be the springboard to some sort of action. So you've all heard that word, pivot, 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 like a demented ballerina in my mind, turning round and round and round and round and round on the stage. Actually, it doesn't. It means creativity and it means innovation and it means an acceptance of this is what we're in, at least for now, not forever, but at least for now. And instead of sitting back and waiting for things to change, how can I partner the situation productively? productively partner the situation and generate some change, whether that be in the way my children learn, whether that be in the way I divide my space while we have to think creatively and make the most of all of this, or whether in particular it's in the workplace and in our businesses. Different ways of doing things, virtual ways of doing things when we weren't ever used to it before. I work quite a lot with icons and luminaries in the entertainment industry and interview them. I interview them on my show, Coffee and Connect. And at first, at the beginning of all of this, you know, there was just this sense of OMG, there's no work, we can't perform, we have to have an audience. What is going to happen to our industry? We they start catastrophizing, getting into the future, what if and what if this never comes back. Now, it's still like that. I don't want to deny the reality of it, but you must see what people are doing. Online performances that they're charging for, not the same. But when they had followers, their followers are still following them. There's some amazing stories of concerts and comedies that have been put online with some developing response, even a big response from online audiences, because that is how we're getting our entertainment now. There is no alternative. So people are having to be creative in businesses, in the way we do things, in the way we learn, in the way we connect, which comes out of that fifth stage of acceptance. And then the very last question that I want to refer to today that somebody asked me is, you know, what, can't we just sort of think positively 
Look at all the good, you know, that will get us out of this. And you know what that reminded me of, once again, towards the beginning, every email, every WhatsApp, every conversation that you had was just think positive, think positive, think positive, and it'll all be fine. Well, yeah, right. How did that work out for you? How does that work out for you? You know, are there really dolphins swimming in the canals of Venice or whatever else we were had to do? Yes, of course, there is cleaner environment and we can look at ways of keeping that. And there is all of that. But positive thinking is different from optimism. Realistic optimism, mindful optimism, knowing that hope and faith and carrying on with a strong belief that this too shall pass. It will pass. The new normal isn't going to be the new normal forever. It's the new normal for now. And that kind of belief and faith influences the way we think. It influences the way we feel and it influences the way we behave. And at the end of our day, our behavior creates our actions. Our actions create our results. And our results, when stretched out over time, become our destiny. And there are many examples. I remember speaking to Ahmed Kathrada at one point and said to him, how did you survive all of that time of incarceration? No, and he just referred to what I'm talking about. He said, we were still fighting the struggle. We knew we were fighting the struggle, that we were going to get through it. It was just from a different place. And that sustains them. We've heard that from many, many people. So what I'm saying to you is own your feelings, lean into them. Don't douse them down. When you name them, you can tame them. That's the beginning of taming them. You don't have to keep changing to be positive, positive all the time. You can deal with what you're dealing with. But to maintain an optimistic worldview is sometimes, together with support in your life and self-compassion, we'll see you through and we'll meet you in the new world. So we want to be responsive to you. Thank you for sending the questions. I hope that this has been helpful and a little bit of information and inspiration. Please share the podcasts with your family and friends. Thrive with Dr. D. I'm Dorianne Wheel. Thanks for listening to Thrive with Dr. D, a jackpot podcast.